Hello, this is the fifth episode of our 2021 BMJ Sexually Transmitted Infections podcast series. My name is Fabiola Martin and I am the BMJ SDI podcast editor. I'm consultant physician in sexual health medicine and senior research fellow at the School of Public Health at the University of Queensland here in Brisbane, Australia. Today, I wish to celebrate the World Hepatitis Day on the 28th of July with my esteemed colleagues, Professor Gail Matthews, infectious diseases physician and program head of therapeutic research and vaccine program at the Kirby Institute, Ms. Carrie Fowley, CEO of Hepatitis Australia, and Ms. Lisa Carter, patient advocate at Hepatitis SA. Before we carry on, I would like to pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which we are gathering. This is Adelaide, Canberra, Sydney, and Brisbane. Hello and welcome everybody. Gail, can I start with you please? Could you tell us a little bit about your scope of work? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Fabiola. Um, so I think as you mentioned in the introduction, I'm a, a professor in infectious diseases and I've spent the past couple of decades uh, specialising in, in bloodborne viruses, um, particularly HIV and, and viral hepatitis. And I'm also head of infectious diseases at St Vincent's Hospital uh, in Sydney. Uh, and there, since the early days uh, of hepatitis C therapies, we've treated uh, many people in, in recent years, many hundreds of people uh, through our service for hepatitis C as, as new therapies have, have come through. Um, and in my academic position, alongside my colleagues at the Kirby Institute at UNSW, uh, I've led many Australian and uh, international initiatives looking at hepatitis C uh, elimination uh, in key populations that are the most at risk of hepatitis C. So uh, specifically people living with um, HIV, hepatitis C co-infection uh, and people who inject drugs. Thank you so much. And Kerry, how about you? Do you mind telling us a little bit about what you do? Hello, it's lovely to be here. I'm speaking to you from Ngunnawal land. So that's also known as Canberra. Um, and I work for Hepatitis Australia. So that's the national peak body. And our goal is to end viral hepatitis in Australia. So we're a non-government, not-for-profit charitable organisation that does a lot of policy work at the national level. We also do awareness raising, knowledge translation and communication. And we've got a really special position in Australia where our goal is almost directly aligned with that of the Australian government in terms of uh, seeking to eliminate viral hepatitis. Thank you. And finally, Lisa, do you mind um, telling us a little bit about your scope of work, please? Not at all. Thanks for including me in this. It's great. Um, I've worked for Hepatitis SA for the past seven years. Uh, similar to Carrie, Hepatitis SA is a non-profit community-based organisation funded mostly by the SA Department of Health. Uh, World Hepatitis Day is a big day for us, not just this day, but for the past 20 years. We've provided information, education and support for South Australians affected by viral hepatitis, their families, friends and professionals who support them. Um, in my role as a hepatitis C peer educator, I provide that information and education from, a, from the perspective of my lived experience. You see, I was diagnosed um, hep C RNA positive way back in 1991 by my GP. I was quite open with him about my injecting drug use around that time. Um, 
that was before I had experienced any stigma and discrimination by any doctors or nurses. Um, I was cured in 2016 with a direct acting antiviral treatment. This was easy, being just pills each day with no side effects to speak of over just 12 weeks. For most people, it's just one pill once a day for eight weeks now. I was lucky I didn't experience any symptoms living with hepatitis C for nearly 30 years other than slightly raised ALTs. Uh, without that test all those years ago, I probably wouldn't have known that I had hep C. So it's really good to be cured before any liver damage or any other mortalities occurred. I feel really, really lucky. Thank you so much for this summary and I'm glad you all are here. So I think our listeners can now guess that we're going to focus on hepatitis C. There are many viruses that can infect the liver. But Gail, if I can come back to you, would you mind giving us a brief summary about what is this virus? What is hepatitis C? Yeah, so hepatitis C is a, is a chronic viral in, infection uh, that can lead to end-stage uh, liver disease uh, and liver cancer and globally causes over 300,000 deaths every year. Um, it, it's often acquired through exposure to uh, infected blood or, or blood products, um, in many cases people who have injected drugs, but globally also from unsafe injecting practices. Um, in some situations, it may be acquired sexually, particularly uh, amongst HIV-positive men who have sex with men, um, or through other exposures that occur through uh, such as tattoos and piercings, etc. Um, so although a proportion of people who get infected will clear spontaneously, so they'll get rid of the infection without treatment. In fact, the majority of people, so three quarters, 80% uh, of people, will not um, be able to, to get rid of this infection when they become infected. Uh, and that means that they go on to be what we call chronically infected or having chronic hepatitis C. Um, and I think, as Lisa pointed out, in most cases, people don't know that necessarily they have it. It's a silent infection. It may not cause any symptoms at all until complications arise at a much later stage in the course of the illness. Um, and obviously, of course, by that point in time, it's, it's often much more difficult um, to do something effective, particularly when uh, it's uh, le uh, led to a liver cancer, for example. Um, so the uh, many people, as I said, are unaware that they're living with, with hepatitis C. Um, and it, we have a very big push then to try and get more people uh, to get tested. Now, hepatitis C probably um, is estimated to infect over 71 million people um, globally. Um, and uh, to aid with moving towards um, eliminating hepatitis C, the WHO in 2016 launched some really important targets um, around preventing new infections, um, firstly, uh, and also reducing uh, ill health uh, and death as a consequence of hepatitis C. And they've uh, set some ultimate goals for elimination of hepatitis C by the year 2030. And that's what we're all trying to, to work towards. These are amazing targets. And uh, I think in Australia, at least, we are uh, making good progress towards these targets. But um, so you hinted towards it being a chronic infection and causing um, significant mortality and morbidity. So it's in a way a no brainer that it should be treated. Um, in the past, I recall that we would wait and wait and, you know, discuss and, um, you know, consider because our treatments were quite toxic. Um, but now it seems that it's quite easy to receive and, and tolerate this medication. 
in your opinion, you know, who should be the person who manages hepatitis C um, infection, treats the infection? Yeah, look, uh, and again, I think as, as Lisa alluded to, and, and you also have, um, treatment for hepatitis C has come a, a huge way in the last um, you know decade or so. So going from the old days of interferon, where we used to treat very few people because it wasn't very successful and it was very toxic, we now have these combinations of, of pills, which you can take for um, between eight to 12 weeks, uh, the duration, and between one to three pills a day. Um, and, and these pills cure over 95% of people who are able to take them, and almost everybody is able to take them. So they're really very, very effective medications. And importantly, they have very few side effects and they have very few interactions with other drugs, other conditions, et cetera. And so what that means is that they're incredibly simple to, to prescribe um, and they don't need to be prescribed by a specialist. Um, and in Australia, what we've had uh, and we've been very, very fortunate to, to do so. What we've had is an amazing universal access um, scheme, uh, which means that anyone with hepatitis C can be treated with these drugs. Uh, there are no restrictions based on how bad the disease is or whether that person uh, is using drugs or alcohol still. Uh, you can be retreated if you get reinfected um, very easily, so there's no judgment there. And importantly to your question about who can treat um, all doctors, uh, providing they've had some very minimal training, and that includes our general uh, practitioners, our primary care practitioners, and also our, our nurse practitioners as well starting to treat. Um, all of these people can actually prescribe these therapies because we know they're so safe and so effective. Uh, and what that has meant for Australia is that we have been able to really vastly increase um, our numbers, our proportion of the population that, that's been treated. And it's been critical to doing that. And we've also been able to get access to very different groups of the patients that might not um, come to a, a specialist centre. And, and it's one of the, the reasons that Australia is one of the very few countries uh, that is actually currently still on track uh, to meet those 2030 viral hepatitis elimination goals. So in summary, it's easy to treat, it's easy to manage and monitor, and general practitioners and nurse practitioners uh, could treat. And I, I wonder if in future pharmacists could be even, you know, trained to, to treat, because I was listening to a podcast this morning where, you know, COVID vaccination should be, you know, um, rolled out maybe in pharmacy. So I was thinking about you guys today, thinking maybe, you know, pharmacists could treat. Yeah, have any opinion on that? Yeah, absolutely. And look, there are projects. I mean, what's been great about um, Australia as well, we've just had a viral hepatitis uh, conference. Uh, and what's been great is that we have all these different groups looking at different ways of taking treatment out to uh, out to patients, you know, out in vans and uh, in pharmacies and all these different kind of what we call models of care, all based around the same premise, which is that treatment is so easy and so simple. Why would you not, uh, you know, give it to patients wherever you can, wherever you can reach the patients and that's really the only way uh, we're going to be able to eliminate this infection. Thank you Gail. Moving on to Carrie. Carrie, um, how common is this virus? Is hepatitis C in Australia? So viral hepatitis is the most common bloodborne virus in Australia and when we talk about viral hepatitis in Australia we tend to talk about hepatitis B and hepatitis C. So there's about 230,000 people living with hepatitis B and currently 130,000 living with hepatitis C. 
But I guess just building off of what Gail was saying before, so at the start of 2016, we had about 189,000 people living with hepatitis C. So over a three-year period, we've dropped almost 40% in terms of the people that we've uh, had living with hepatitis C. And that is an extraordinary achievement and a real testament to what can be done when people work together and remove barriers and get treatment to the people. And part of this was that lots of people had been waiting to access treatment. Um, but another, I guess, uh, also building on uh, Gail's comments was about the unrestrictedness of the approach. And so part of it also was that it was unrestricted by cost. And so it's listed on the PBS, so it's a low or a very low price for people to be able to access. And, uh, and we're seeking to embed uh, hepatitis C testing treatment within a whole range of settings where people might be. And I think importantly, uh, this kind of unrestricted approach is potentially one of the greatest anti-stigma initiatives Australia's ever done. And in addition to treatment, what Australia's also done is maintained a response in terms of prevention and harm reduction. So it's really looked at a comprehensive response. So it's made sure that we've had access to prevention, harm reduction, uh, anti-stigma and discrimination protections alongside access to treatment at the same time. Because I guess that's a really important message is that while treatment uh, is accessible and we can get it out in lots of places, we also need to make sure we've got uh, comprehensive responses that include prevention and harm reduction. And unfortunately, uh, we've uh, seen that happen in Australia where we haven't had complementary um, responses. For example, uh, in Australia, prison settings are some of the um, incredible settings in terms of uptake of hepatitis C treatment. But when we don't have harm reduction or prevention sufficiently in those settings, we risk having outbreaks. And we've seen that happen here. And those really risk diminishing our hard-fought elimination gains. So it's not just test and treat, but also have a whole package, a an, an armory of different ways of supporting people to prevent themselves from getting the infection in the first place and reinfection. So that's, I think, similar to other um, STIs as well as bloodborne viruses. So it's not just treatment, but treatment plays a really important part when it comes to reaching the elimination targets. And Kerry, um, how are we going to reach those targets? Um, what is your, you know, magic or your advice when it comes to pushing forward and getting there, getting over the finish line? Well, there's been this really exciting, um, I guess, effort being done collectively where there's a proposal that's gone up to our um, Federal Minister for Health to find 50,000 people by the end of next year. Because uh, like uh, everyone across the world, tragically, uh, people have been coping with COVID and that's impacted on some of the testing, treatment, engagement activities that we've had. So we've fallen a bit behind on some of our testing and treatment targets. And what it means is we need a, a real concerted effort to do a bit of catch up. And uh, where everyone's thinking in terms of this is a really uh, comprehensive uh, scale up national project that would look at uh, point of care testing, it would look at treatment, it would look at um, 
how do we use, we've got some really fantastic data in Australia that really takes us down to some of the geographical areas that tells us where we've got um, some prevalence uh, issues where we can do some concerted effort. And about bringing all of these with a kind of national campaign activity together in geographical areas to target uh, communities and for all of these activities to work together. Um, because we're kind of in the next stage of our elimination effort and our kind of business as usual. We need to keep all the ingredients, but maybe tweak them a little bit and bring the key actors together to find the people we haven't found yet. So what you're saying is that evidence and research based, you know, movement and goal setting will help you find pockets of infection that could benefit from targeted elimination um, activities, transmission prevention, as well as treatment strategies? Yeah, it's a real partnership approach between uh, affected communities, key settings, uh, primary care providers, nurses, GPs, researchers. And that's, I think, a real strength of part of the Australian response is the collaborative approach that's happening to that. And that will definitely be the ingredient for success for us going forward. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Carrie. And Lisa, um, I was wondering, you know, how do people typically find out about their infection? You know, is there something that there's a common a commonality in how a patient finds out that they're positive? Well, like me, by far the most people are diagnosed by their GP. Um, but there is a reluctance often with patients to disclose many of those risk factors due to that fear of being viewed or treated differently by their doctor. Um, we have a helpline at HEPSA and callers often tell us that they don't want to disclose drug use to their doctor because it was just once and a really long time ago. But as we know, it only takes one unsterile mix or injection to contract hepatitis C. We also hear of people travelling overseas for cheap dental and cosmetic procedures or tattoos um, and, and risk um, hep C risk doesn't even occur to them. Like, you know, patient maybe aren't aware of those risks. So because hepatitis C isn't part of a general health screening, it, it often gets overlooked and we really do need to in, increase the amount of testing happening to, to stay on track for that goal of elimination. Fantastic. And um, so people do get reinfected. It's a, you know, infection and you can get reinfected. What is the role of the clinician, I think, in facilitating retesting and treatment? I think... In Australia, we're really lucky. Like Gail mentioned, we have the uh, open access under the pharmaceutical benefits scheme here. So anyone that is RNA positive for hep C can receive treatment or even retreatment um, as long as they're able to swallow a pill uh, and they're not pregnant or breastfeeding, of course, but um, it's just not recommended for those. So retreatment is about, you know, that pre and post-test counselling that you give to patients around what their risk, future risks might be and, and their understanding of transmission is really, really important. And, and also the benefits of treatment um, needs to be understood by the patients. Um, any medical practitioner or authorised nurse practitioner can um, provide a prescription. So the patient doesn't even 
usually need to see a specialist. It's really easy. Like treatment is so easy. There's no reason why we can't reach this elimination goal. Um, the GP can do a remote consultation with a gastroenterologist or a hepatologist. And the form is available online. And the turnaround for that now is just 24 hours. Um, in South Australia, um, we have a nurse-led model of care. So that information is really um, given to the people in the community. They're, they're community-based nurses uh, that can provide outreach to patients wherever they are, just about anywhere, and also in reach to those um, places of high prevalence like prisons or alcohol and other drug services, mental health services, locations across the state. And they really do go above and beyond to ensure that um, there are no interruptions to treatment for those patients that might need a bit more support during treatment to ensure that they adhere for that eight or 12 weeks. Um, yeah, patient understanding is, is really of high importance. So essentially, as a clinician, as a health practitioner, be uh, enthusiastic, follow the guidelines and test and treat and retest and retreat if need be. And um, make sure that stigma is, you know, avoided at all costs so that the patient feels comfortable to disclose potential exposure. Absolutely. That's great. I think that's a beautiful summary. Thank you so much, Lisa. I just wondered if you had one final message for our listeners. Gail, can I start with you? What would be your take home message for our listeners? Well, I think firstly, the, the, um, hepatitis C treatment is simple. Um, that's that's the, the main message. Um, but a sort of further message, I think. Look, we, we've got a, we've gone a long way with hepatitis C. We've got a long way to go, but some really positive um, things are happening now um, around hepatitis C. Uh, just but just to sort of uh, remember that uh, it is World Hepatitis Day. That includes hepatitis B uh, as well as hepatitis C, and those elimination goals uh, apply to hepatitis B as well. So uh, we. Have have a much further um, path to travel with hepatitis B, uh, but just to just to remember that people living with hepatitis B also need to be tested and diagnosed and linked to care. It's a really important part of hepatitis B as well as hepatitis C. Fantastic! Thanks for that reminder. And Carrie, what would be your take-home message for us? That elimination is absolutely possible, and we can do this. Uh, we just had the Australasian Viral Hepatitis Conference and people came out of that really excited. They, uh, they're excited, they were connected, excited on the success, I think reinvigorated about the next steps of what they can do. And there were some really good messages about that elimination is possible, elimination is cost-effective, it's better and cheaper to invest and do the work now than have ongoing costs. This is to the individual and also to the community overall but also that we've got really exciting new technologies on the horizon as well that people are using point of care testing, other types of technologies that are real game changers that mean that we can get the kind of whole activity closer to the person and remove barriers and make it as easy as possible. Um, so I think it's just for World Hepatitis Day, amazing that we get to be part of something where 10 years from now, we might not even be talking about hepatitis C because it might be a thing of the past. I guess you're looking into self-testing and self-treatment. That would be something. Lisa, what is your take-home message for us? Mine would have to be hepatitis C treatment can't wait. We can eliminate hepatitis C if we test more people for hepatitis C. The cure is easy. It's easy to prescribe and it's easy to take. 
Thank you. Thank you all so much for your time and effort to provide us with this very informative overview of hepatitis C in Australia. On behalf of the BMJ podcast team, I thank you all and our colleagues for their efforts to advance the elimination of hepatitis B and C worldwide. Thank you all for listening and I hope you can follow the BMJ SDI on Twitter and Facebook. Stay safe and goodbye.